Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, we're in a great sermon series um, on Jesus' greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we painted the picture and walked through the Beatitudes Um, And then last week, Pastor Adam preached a message on salt and light that we're called to preserve and to illuminate. And and this week, I'm so excited. We're going to talk about law, murder, adultery, divorce, swearing, revenge, and what you do with your enemies. Are you ready? (laughs) I got to tell you, if ever there was a pastor who wanted to just skip a couple of passages in his verse-by-verse teaching... That was me this week. But I think that the Lord has put a burden in my heart. And and I know that his word is good. His word is true. And we're going to set ourselves to learning it. Amen? We're going to set ourselves to discovering it, to studying it. And and so as we look through um, this content today, we're going to actually cover a lot of scripture. Let me repaint the scene for you. Jesus went up on a mountainside because as Matthew describes him, he's he's like a, a second Moses. He goes up on a mountainside and instead of giving out 10 commandments, he gives out eight beatitudes. He goes and he finds a place to sit because that's what rabbis do. His disciples come and stand around him and then the crowds come and they fill in the scene. And so you've got this large crowd of people, the disciples and Jesus. And Jesus is teaching. And as he begins to teach on this mountainside, I want you to imagine being there. It's a warm day. There's a slight breeze. The Sea of Galilee is at your back, and you're there in that natural amphitheater listening to Jesus as he teaches, and you're hearing things you've never, ever heard before. That's the hardest part for us, because these are things we've heard before. It's hard to hear them again as though you never have heard them. But in context, it's so important that we do that. These were Jews. They understood the law. More than that, they understood being oppressed by Rome. They understood the influence of the Greeks. And so in this landscape, they're listening to Jesus as he teaches, and he says things that's blowing their minds over and over again. They're leaning in further because they just can't believe what they're hearing. And so as we walk through this, Let me just start by saying at first glance, Jesus seems to make the rules that are already there more rigid. That's when you, when you first read this stuff, it's like, whoa, he's not just saying this, he's saying this and this, but you've got to listen carefully because Jesus has a goal. He's not trying to make things more difficult, but Jesus had a goal. And what Jesus isn't doing is he's inviting them and us to live a life that's based on faith and love versus obligation. That's the whole point here, that we're to live a life of faith that's based on love, not on obligation. It's not a we have to, it's a we get to. It's an understanding of the heart. And that's really what's going on here is Jesus throughout this whole section is pulling out our hearts and making us look at them. And I don't really want to do that. I don't like that. That's stuck in there for a reason. That's hidden in there for a reason. But Jesus says, come on, let's get to the heart of things. And so this is what Jesus does over and over and over again, is he pulls out men and women's hearts and says, look, and then he shows you how he's going to heal that. 
He shows you how he's going to bless that. He shows you how he's going to rearrange that. And so as we look at this, you're going to see that there's a connection between what Jesus is saying and the Ten Commandments. And that's because Jesus is setting out a new system. This is now the kingdom of God. He's delivering it, and it's quite incredible. So we start with him talking about the law. And it starts like this in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, when he says law or prophets, they knew exactly what he meant. He meant the Tanakh, which was the Jewish scriptures, what we know is our Old Testament. And so that's what he's saying. Do not think that I've come to abolish the old law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This word fulfillment is very important. The word fulfill here is to bring out the real meaning. He's saying, listen, I'm not here to just wipe it all away and start over. I'm here to show you what it's always meant. God put it in place so long ago so that you could get to this point and now learn this. And so let's build on it. Let's move forward with it. He's going to bring out the truth. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, he's talking about this physical earth and and the reality of heaven. Someday, the Bible says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But for now, we live on this earth and in this time and with this heaven. And until those things disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. There's a day of completion and we live in the here and now. We live in the now and the not yet. We're in that middle space. We're waiting for everything still to be accomplished. We see it being accomplished, but we're still waiting for everything to be accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, here we are today, practicing, teaching, discussing, learning, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, let's not tamper with it. Let's just get to the heart of it. Let's understand the real meaning behind it. And I'm here to teach it to you I'm here to reveal the kingdom. And here, then he goes with this next verse, which is very key. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this is Jesus's preface. He's saying to them, listen, I'm not here to destroy anything. I want to build on it. I want to tell you the real meaning. And here's part of the problem. The part of the problem is you've seen this lived out in a certain way for so long. And I'm telling you, that's not the way it was intended to be lived. What was is just a shadow of what is to come. And so help, let me help you understand. It's got to be better than what you see in the Pharisees. It's got to be better than what you see in the teachers of the law. It's got to look different. It's not about sacrifice, but mercy. It's not about legalism, but love. He's taking them on a journey. And now he begins to talk to them about things that they know a lot about about the Ten Commandments. He starts to talk about not bearing false witness and not murdering and not committing adultery. All these things that they already know, but he, he wants them to see it in a new way. He wants them to see it with depth and understanding. And so, friends, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to walk through these and we're going to learn together today. And I just really want you to know that God has something in his heart for you today. So lean in like the disciples did. Lean in like that crowd did. And listen, 
every word I will read is in red. In other words, it's Jesus speaking. Let's listen to Jesus and let's learn from Jesus. So I'm going to give you lessons on living life, um, that, a life that is based on love, a, f- a life of faith based on love. So the first thing that I want to teach you about um, living a life of faith based on love is that what's going on in your heart matters. That's what we're already learning is that Jesus is pulling out the heart and having us look at it. And so here's what he says, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you know, in the law and the prophets, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, now this phrase, but I tell you shows up six times here. And this is about Jesus expressing his authority. God gave Moses the law, but I am telling you something new. I am now telling you something new, and I speak in authority. Now, this was an expression of of his divinity, of his power, of his might, of his authority, that he is God. And he's saying, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was a term of contempt um, in Aramaic, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, interesting here, Jesus is saying you got to be careful when you're angry. Because anger and murder are closer than you think. <laughs> now, this is a really interesting thought because it wasn't as though Jesus is condemning anger. How many of you know anger is a reality? I think sometimes we feel as Christians that we shouldn't get angry. Well, can I just let you off the hook? Jesus got angry. He got really angry a few times. He got angry when he saw what was going on in the temple. He got angry another time when he healed someone on the Sabbath who had a crippled arm and he said, stretch it out, and he was healed. And all the religious leaders said, oh, you can't do that. That's working on the Sabbath. And he was angry, the Bible says. So there is an anger that doesn't necessarily lead to sin. In fact, anger in itself is not sinful, but what we do with our anger can be very sinful, right? If your anger is out of control, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to do something in a rage, in a fit, and you're going to do something that you regret, right? So really, how do we find a context for understanding, is this anger okay or not okay? And really, I think one of the best filters to use is, is my anger selfish or unselfish? Is this about me not getting my way? Is this about something I want for me? Is this about my own interests, about my own um, uh, preservation? Is this about me or is this about somebody else? Because often if our anger is unselfish, it can be righteous, a righteous anger that says that's not right. That needs to be fixed. Those people need protection. They need to be looked after. It isn't right that the vulnerable are being exploited. We need to do something about that. That kind of anger is righteous. But there's a whole other world of anger that comes from my selfishness that really leads me into all kinds of sin. In fact, Jesus says, be very careful. And And it's interesting that twice... He uses um, this little word, says, anyone who says this or says that. Isn't it interesting how much trouble we can get in when we're angry and we speak? Sometimes it's our words that really get us going. And it's our words that condemn us. Here's what the Bible says. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
And remember, this is about Jesus revealing hearts. And so all of a sudden when we speak, we begin to tell what's in our hearts. Is it hatred? Is it murderous? And if it's coming out of my heart, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Anger can lead you to a very dark and sinful place. There's no doubt. And the truth is, is anger can actually affect your worship. So Jesus says next, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Why? Because your anger will affect your worship. And you can come to church and you can sing the songs, but your worship is hindered because of what's going on inside your heart. What's going on in your mind? What you're wrestling through? What are you thinking about that person? What kind of condemnation are you throwing out? What, what's actually being said in the heart? Is there contempt for your brother or your sister? Is there a sense of how foolish that is or how stupid that is? Or why are they doing that? Or why do they drive that car? Or why do they look that way? Or why does, why does Pastor Andy wear Nikes on the platform? Right? <laughs> Uh, the point being is that it damages your worship. That stuff in your heart, it, it, it creates, a, 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 it fills you up in a way that doesn't leave space for the Lord to come and fill you up. Anger can also destroy your life. Jesus goes on here. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. If he's taking you to court, how do you know he's angry? Right? Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you'll not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, a lot of scholars believe Jesus isn't speaking about a literal prison, but he's referring to the whole context where it says, you know, if you murder, you're subject to judgment. So he's using court and officer and all, the, all of these terms to help create the imagery it's, it's, it's what he's trying to say here, in my opinion, is that you have to understand that anger will imprison you. Anger will prison you. It'll put shackles on your hands, shackles on your feet. You'll have hatred and murderous thoughts in your heart. And Jesus is saying, dig it out. Dig it out of the heart because that's where it wants to live. That's where it wants to root itself. And anger will destroy you. That's why the Bible says, be careful about a violent man. Anger brings violence. Second thought I want to give you in terms of lessons on living a life of faith that's based on love. Number two, deal radically with the sins of desire. Deal radically with the sins of desire. Now Jesus goes into adultery. Aren't you glad you came to church today? So good. And, and here's what the next verse says. We're going to go right through uh, Jesus' teaching here. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is talking about the heart. He's dealing with the heart. He wants to work in your heart. Now, let me give you context here because this phrase looks at a woman lustfully. I mean, any, any human being can look across the room and see someone attractive and notice that they're attractive. And I want to say that you have not condemned yourself in having two eyes and a brain. Okay? Let's just be real. What this 
phrase actually means is if I could do it and not get caught, I would. If there was a way I could get away with it, I would take that for myself. That is the nature of the concern here. That is intent in the heart. And really, is, is the person who wants to do it but just doesn't do it out of fear less guilty? Jesus is suggesting no. That we are called to deal with our hearts and what is in our hearts. And, and though we haven't had opportunity to live out what is in our hearts, it doesn't make our hearts pure. It doesn't make our hearts right. And that's what Jesus is getting at. And so he says, you've got to be radical in dealing with the sins of desire. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Strong words. Gouge it out? Cut it off? Is this a Sunday morning sermon? Somebody's going, these guys are crazy. Listen, obviously the Bible does not condone personal mutilation. It's not a way to a, a richer and deeper fellowship with God, okay? Now, what is it that Jesus is getting at here? He's saying this method of living life by doing the external without dealing with the heart is absolutely foolish. What we need to do is we need to get in the heart and we need to understand that the desires of the heart are something that we have to deal with and we have to deal with them swiftly and we have to deal with them militantly and if so, violently. What I'm saying is, man, there's a time where I have to say no to my flesh. I have to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. There's, there, the truth is, is, if you want to live for Christ, at some point you're going to face a passion, a desire that is not godly, whether it's a temptation or something that you've allowed residence in your heart. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Somebody's struggling with it right now. And can I tell you, take Jesus' advice here and deal radically with the sin of desire. Dig it out of your heart. Dig it out of your mind. Man, I mean, think about how many sins enter our bodies through our eyes, through what we see, what we meditate on, what passes over our eyes and into our minds and lodges in our spirit. Man, Turn it off. Throw the computer out the door. You know, do whatever you've got to do. Get rid of that, that mode by which you are practicing the sinful desires. That, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't just be okay with it. Don't just do the religious. Deal with it. Deal with it on a deeper level. And you know what? He continues on. We always separate these two. The next section is on divorce. We always sec separate these two, but actually Jesus continues his thought on adultery here. And, and basically he says this in verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. In other words, in the law, what you could do as a man is you could go and get two witnesses and say, lady, you're no longer my wife. Here you go. Here's a divorce certificate, and that's it. She's put away. Uh, the woman has no recourse on that. The truth is, is a, a woman can divorce her husband for no reason at all. There's no reason for her to do that. But a man can divorce his wife for any reason in, in the Jewish culture. 
And so Jesus begins to speak to this. And he says, you've heard that it was said that you can write a certificate of divorce. Great. Verse 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That is a hard passage, hard to hear, requires a lot more unpacking in terms of creating a theology of divorce. Can I just warn you about taking a single verse and creating your theological perspective on it? But I do want to say Jesus is drilling down to a point, and this is the point. The way that you currently practice divorce is legalized adultery because you can just put her away and move on to whatever else you wanted next. And Jesus is saying, it's not that simple. What's your heart in putting your wife away? What's going on inside of you? Come on, let me pull your heart. That's what Jesus said. Let me pull your heart out and and you look at it. Look at it right here. What's in your heart when you put your wife away? Listen, let me just say it this way. There is hope beyond divorce. It is not the impardonable sin. It is painful and it is, it is understandably, you know, a place of great brokenness. It's also, um, it become too easy in our culture. Just like adultery, you can look at anywhere. You can look anywhere on the uh, entertainment, in a book you read, on a TV show, whatever. And adultery is commonplace. And so it's, uh, there's this sense that it's normalized, but it's not. And it's not right. And it's painful. And if we, as, as the people of God, don't hold marriage high, who is going to? If we don't hold it as sacred, who will? And so it has to remain sacred in our hearts and in our minds, but we also understand we live in a fallen world. There's hope beyond divorce. We want to help you. That's why we do divorce care, because we want people to have a future. We want them to have hope. We want them to have healing. But the way that they were practicing divorce was not right. And Jesus was saying, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? Deal radically with the sins of, of desire. Thirdly, Your character, your character should make the oath, not your mouth. Your character should make the oath, not your mouth. The next section that Jesus teaches on here is about making oaths. And we're going to read in a second, but just understand this. At that time in the culture, lying was normal. I mean, you want to talk about fake news. There you go. Fake news. Lying was normal. You know, and the Bible talks about bearing false witness. Don't bear false witness. Well, they lied all the time. It was an acceptable practice. It was part of the hyperbole of the culture. You just say whatever you want. And then if you're serious or if if you really want someone to believe you, then you have to swear by something. Because I can say whatever I want until I swear. But if I swear by the temple or if I swear by my head or if I swear by, you know, the God in heaven or if I, I swear by my home, then now I'm legal. Um, obligated to tell the truth. Can you imagine living in a culture where the norm is lies? And the only time you're going to get the truth is if someone actually is willing to swear on it. And so Jesus comes against this picture. He says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What's Jesus getting at? He's saying, come on. 
You don't need to swear if you tell the truth. He is, he is commending truth-telling. And in our culture, where people use words to malign and to judge and to cancel, we throw them like bombs without any recourse whatsoever. You realize that people could leave this service and go on their computer and give us a hundred bad Google reviews today. There is no recourse for it. The populace decides, and, and that's the nature of our world. And so in the church, friends, let's be truth tellers. In our homes, let's be truth tellers. Let's let truth be normative. Let's let lies be something that we uproot and get rid of. That our word is our word. Our yes is our yes. Our no is our no. And anything else is from the evil one. So we will not accept it, right? Come on, church, let's be those kind of people. That's what we're being encouraged, encouraged here, that your oath should be made by your character, not by your words, not by your mouth, because we believe it. Okay, the next, uh, next thought is this. You need to be an agent of mercy, not revenge. And I'm, I'm almost finished. An agent of mercy, not revenge. So Jesus continues. It's quite a sermon, isn't it? Honestly, quite a sermon. Okay. No, not my sermon. Jesus' sermon. <laughs> yeah. I'm just reading the red words, okay? We're just going to stick with the red words here. So verse 38. You have heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. So this is probably the most ancient law in the ancient world. It comes from ancient Babylonia, but it was also reiterated three times in the Old Testament. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You, you cause my eye to be injured, I can go and gouge yours out. You, um, you break a tooth off me, I can break a tooth off you. If you're rich and you hurt me, you got to pay me because it's got to be equal. It's all about revenge. It's based on revenge. It was a culture that was rooted in revenge. And we are a culture rooted in revenge now. Oh, you said that about me. I'll say this about you. You did that to me. I'll do this to you. Again, social media, we go off, we cancel, we go crazy, right? It's present. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Maybe the hardest thing I've read today You know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever, you ever done uh, planks? <laughs> you know, where you get on your elbows or your hands and feet and you just like flatten out. You just stay there and everything starts <laughs> shaking. I feel like we've been doing planks today. And we've kind of come to this point and I just feel like I got to put my knee down. I just, I, just, I, I actually can't. I can't do this one. I... You see, when someone slaps you in the face, you've got three options. The first one is slap them back. I mean, we learned that one right away. Have you seen two toddlers together? The second one is to run away. 
But the third one is to endure. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He didn't say in this passage, if someone slaps you, flee. He said, endure. Be ready for another assault. I mean, he he talks about being sued, right? And according to Roman law, if someone sues you for your shirt, they can't have your outer garment as well because then you would have nothing to wear. Jesus says, when someone sues you and takes your shirt, give them your coat too. What? According to Roman law, if someone, if a Roman soldier says, hey, pick that up and carry it, you are by law obligated to carry it one mile. Then you can drop it and leave it right where it is. But Jesus says, take it two miles. I feel so challenged by the teaching of Jesus here. I guess I just, I want to sit in this with you for just a moment because what I feel like Jesus was getting at was that as a Christian, you give up your rights. You become the servant. You let me sort it out. And you just stand your ground. There's no retreat. There's just an open-handedness. I'm the servant of God. He decides my future. I have given up my rights as a follower of Jesus. What, What Jesus is saying here is that I don't stand upon my rights and I never dispute my legal rights. That's not what it's about. I'm not here to defend myself. I'm not here to, to, to demand. In fact, it was William Barclay who said it this way. There are people who are forever standing on their rights, who clutch their privileges to them and who will not be pried loose from them, who will militantly go to law rather than suffer what they regard as the slightest infringement of them. And he goes on to say this, churches are tragically full of people like that. I, I wouldn't guess your experience over the last two years, but in my, my experience over the last two years, I've realized that there's a whole lot of things that I could get upset about. It's a whole lot of things that I could say, that's my right, that's my cause, that's my purpose, but over And over and over again, I've heard the Spirit say, get your eyes on Jesus. Just look higher. Just look higher. Look at the face of Jesus. Everything that Jesus said here, he willingly did. He's... When I fight for my rights, somehow I miss the pure joy of saying, Jesus, I want to become like you. I want to become like you even in the sharing of your sufferings. Jesus, you fight my cause. Jesus, you plead my case. 
I will put my eyes on you. I will focus on you. And, and really, the next section, the next little passage, the next few verses, I'm not even going to read them. But here's what you have to understand about them. What Jesus is saying is he goes on to reinforce this idea. And he says, treat your enemies like God treats his I was God's enemy. I was far from him. I rejected him. I, I renounced his promises and I pushed away from his goodness and I didn't follow through on my obligation. I chose sin. I spit on the cross. And how did he treat me? He loved me. And he died for me. All of a sudden, I'm seeing my Jesus. And, and he is pulling out our hearts today. And it's uncomfortable. And, and he's showing us our hearts. And, and we don't want to look. But what I want you to do is I just want you to look for a minute. And I want you to see Jesus taking your heart. And taking things out and pouring his spirit, breathing his life, applying his blood, and giving you back your heart in a new way. That's the picture I want you to leave with today. I'm not interested in strapping you with rules. I'm not interested in rules myself, but I want Jesus to work in my heart. I want him to undo things that are wrong in here. I want him to have his way in my heart. And I want that for you as well. Treat your enemies like God treats his. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you. Today we can look beyond rules beyond commands. And Lord, we realize that you're allowing us to see our hearts. And, and when we do, we, we agree together, we cannot do this. The things that are said here, Lord, the, the way that you lived your life, it's not something that we can replicate. The truth is, Jesus, in these verses, we see our sin. It's revealed to us. But we know, Jesus, that this just helps us see that we need a savior. I thank you for rescuing me. God, forgive me that there's times where I come to church and pray that you'll rescue someone else. But Lord, sin can live in my heart too. And so God, I need you today. Be my savior. Jesus, you came to reveal sin, but you also came to destroy it. Thank you, Lord, that the penalty of sin is canceled that your perfect death brought me a perfect life. I don't have to live in the pain of my imperfections and my faults and my shortcomings. You brought me back into right relationship with God. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. And I willingly lay my heart before you. So, Lord, as we do that, we ask that you would remove hatred and anger and sins of desire lying and a heart full of revenge, Lord. And 
Jesus, fill us with your mercy. Fill us with your grace. Fill us with the the capacity to see things like you do. You're calling to us, Jesus. And we ask you for help. And we thank you for your grace. Listen, if you're listening to me, we're gonna continue to pray for just a minute. And and you say, "I I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm listening to you talk. I heard the words of Jesus. I I realize that I need him in my life. If that's where you are today, listen, you respond to Jesus. Offer him your life. Give him your life. He loves you. He has redemption for you. Salvation is yours in Christ. Receive that today. If you're online, you can reach out for prayer. We have a team that wants to help you. If you're here today, we want to connect with you at the back. There's people there that want to pray with you and encourage you. You can simply say, Jesus, I just offer you my life today. And I receive your grace and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet and let's lift our voice in thanks and praise for what our Jesus has done for us, for how he rescued us and how he saved us. I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for the truth. And today I'm thankful for the challenge that Jesus gave us. We'll receive it together and we'll walk forward together.